and welcome to each of you. It is honestly a joy to be here, but I almost somehow this is another one of these messages. I wish I was anywhere but where I am. But uh, I was just thinking there before I came up that I really wish God would find somebody else to preach hard messages. Uh, and I know he does. So I didn't mean that against anybody else here, but I sort of feel like I've been run through the mill on some of these. Um, this one's going to be a lot of review, actually. For those of you that are regularly here, and or at least if you have so. Um, see, where do I want to start on this? Last Sunday in the opening, I asked you how good your memory is, so now I'm going to find out. And if you don't remember what I said, that's okay. Don't feel bad, but I'm going to see a little bit. So... Do you, and how many of you remember the message I preached a couple months ago on influence by whom or what? Anybody remember that one? Okay, good. What about the one, it's all about loved? How many remember that one? Okay, good. And then uh, more recently, the state of convictions. Who remembers that one? Okay, so in a way, this is a consolidation or a pulling together of those three and thinking about, well, I'll just back up. Quite a while ago, and probably the person that suggested that I preach on music probably forgot they even suggested it by now. It's been taking me so long to get there, and it's one of those subjects you either take serious or you just get up and spout. So I decided to be serious, and I can't get there. I keep crashing into other things. I think I'm almost there now. But in looking over my notes on especially those three build-up messages to this subject, I felt there was especially one or two outstanding points I had not really quite as clearly said as I wanted to. And so I'm gonna get those out of my way this morning so that I can move on. Like I told you, especially I think it was on the, the one on the state of convictions. I think I invited you on a journey into the heart and I'm going to invite you on that journey again. And I think that's why some of these things are hard for me is I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look into my heart, um, not quite everything is the way I wish it was. And so if what I say this morning, I have, I'm so blessed that so many of you are such good friends, and I know some of the things I touch on will possibly be drawn from personal conversations and such, and I am not targeting anyone other than myself, okay? Is that clear? So if it seems like it, I apologize in advance, come tell me that I said it wrong and I'll be willing to repent in any way I can. Another thing I thought maybe I should say is, uh, I think Dan mentioned already this morning, at least in the brothers class, about the discussion we had Wednesday night. I will be touching, I feel this, some of the things I have to say do touch onto the subject that we had at brothers meeting. I'm in no way trying to get an additional say or an additional word by doing that, but I'm going to bring it in where I think it fits. So just to be clear on that. So journey with me into the heart. I'll try to do my own, and I'd like for you let yours to you. The concept I'd like to share with you is one that I believe if we would really get a hold of, especially my main point this morning, it would probably have a radical effect on, first of all, my own life and on how the church operates and functions. And as I look across not only our own church, but the broad spectrum of churches that I'm privileged to associate with, it seems to be a chronic problem that I'm not sure we even recognize it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. 
So a few introductory thoughts. Now some of these may seem foolish side, but uh, bear with me. Uh, I've got a reason for it. If you stay awake and piece it together, uh, thanks Ernie for praying that people would stay awake. This is the kind of message where if you sleep off on me, either this message or my next one won't make much sense to you. And you're going to wake up and say, Joe said something. And uh, you know, that's one of the fun things about being preachers. You get a lot of encouragement, but sometimes people say, whoa, you said this or that. And I'm like, well, Dear friend, if you would have listened closely, I think I also balanced it out, but sometimes I do need the help too. So listen closely and critically. Go for it. I don't mind criticism. Okay, um, so a few introductory thoughts. A few weeks ago, actually on the message of conviction, I think it was, I told you that if any of you are lacking uh, the proper clothes for a certain event or whatever that Debbie and I would share with you, any of you remember that? Um, and there was two fellows sitting right there, uh, the ones here. I'm not sure where the other one. He's gone, so I can talk about him. Um, and that, that was sort of amusing thought. I get it. Um, I think especially those, Johnny seemed to have a real, get a real thing out of it. So after church, I was talking to him, and he said he was just trying to imagine how Marvin would look in my pants. Uh, so <laughs> I guess that uh, would be a bit of an unusual sight, no doubt. Um, I can go along with that. Uh, I'd like to add something to that. Um, some time ago, I guess it just, uh, in, a, in, in I hope you have these times in your marriage, it's just a good foolish time with your wife, I guess is what I'll call it. And, uh, I don't know if she told me to, or I decided to try, I decided to try one of her dresses on. Y'all want to you want to guess how that went? <laughs> uh, it didn't go good. Uh, let's just say that if I would have forced the issue and put the thing on, it would have no longer served its purpose. Uh, I didn't fit. And so while, yeah, that's a little, like I said, bear with me. I am, I actually am going somewhere with that. Is, uh, does one size fit all? No, I mean, in clothing, we know how foolish that is. One size doesn't fit all. I mean, even clothing stores know that. You go and you find the one that fits you, what you're looking for, whether it be shoes, pants, dress. Well, yeah, the dresses might be a little hard to buy around here. But you get the drift. And in this, that's one thing I'm going to be talking about is our philosophy of one size fitting all. We know it doesn't work in clothing. Why do we pretend it works in other things? Okay, just hang on to that thought. And I'm going to read a few verses to you. Um, Closely associated with this thought of trying to make one size fits all in some, in some of the things of life. I'd like to read first. Why don't you just listen to these? Open your Bibles to uh, Hebrews 12, and I've got some other verses I'll read to you. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it tells us, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves... And comparing themselves among themselves are not, can anybody tell me? Wise. Now, I've got a problem with this, do you? I look at somebody else that maybe has done better than I have, and I feel sort of, uh, sort of sheepish about myself, my accomplishments. Uh, they just said that better, did better. Or maybe the other flip happens too, doesn't it, where... I look at what somebody else did and their project, and I'm, hmm, I didn't do too bad, you know? We, we try to be gracious and hide our smug, prideful feeling in our heart somewhere where it doesn't stick out too bad, but yeah. 
He says that's not wise. I'm going to read, uh, actually I won't read that, but 1 Corinthians 8, go study that chapter. But in 1 Corinthians 8, we have a person who watches another person live out his Christian life and decides that he can live out his Christian life the way that that person is living out their Christian life with the result of spiritual death. Did you follow me there? Of one person watching another person that is wholeheartedly living out their Christian life the way I read it. And they decide that they can do the same thing in the same way that this other person is with the result that Paul says that they died spiritually. That's not something we recognize very readily, is it? Now, granted, Paul's point was that no matter how wholeheartedly we're doing some things, sometimes we have to consider how it affects others. So can you keep those in your mind? How good is your memory? Hang on to those things and let's wade into the rest of this. Um, thank you very much for your devotions, Fred. Uh, before I talk more about briefly about what you shared or like, does anybody know what happened on June 24, 2021 at 1.22 a.m. Eastern Standard Time? Uh, no, not in this case. It's 1.22 a.m. in the morning, so at least I wasn't awake if it was. I didn't really expect you to know. That's fine. It didn't affect anyone here, thankfully. Does anybody know where Surfside, Florida is? In the town of Surfside, Florida, a 12-story condominium fell in on itself at 1.22 in the morning due to the very thing that Fred was talking about. Well, I don't know. Yeah, the foundation was at fault. Maintenance was at fault. And we could, I'm not doing the investigation here, so we'll just stop there. Can you imagine? I, I, that is about the worst thing I think you could wake up to. I don't know. There's lots of bad things, but that's one. Being anywhere close to the top of the 12-story building, sleeping away, and all of a sudden just to find everything around you crumbling. 98 people killed that night. And you know, that's sad. And it left the government, federal, state, local, asking why. They had to find culprits, and there was lots of reasons why. But I should tell you really what all those reasons why came down to is that somebody somewhere wasn't putting effort into building maintenance, into making sure what they were doing was actually going to last. That's really what it comes down to. And that's bad enough in a physical building, 98 lives lost, but you know how much sadder is it in a spiritual building? Okay, uh, a couple weeks ago I talked about Christopher Columbus, so you all that remember that conviction message, remember him, right? So I've got a lot of review in here. I'd like to put, throw a challenge out there. If you're here and you don't normally talk in church, that's just fine. But today is your chance. So I'm going to only ask you things that I have already said. So you can fire up and just tell Joe back what he said. You don't bear any liability. Nobody's going to sue you for it. So just go right ahead. Um, what did Christopher Columbus have in his day that some people in that day did not have? Anyone? Conviction. I don't know if this is all going to work for me, but we'll give it a shot. 
I'm going to keep it singular in this case, even though we can do it either way. So, what was Christopher Columbus's conviction? That the earth is round, so if you head east, you eventually get to the west. Uh, more or less the same philosophy. And so, did Christopher Columbus in his conviction say, yeah, the earth is round, and if you would head this way, you could get to India. It'd be a whole lot easier than going around Africa. That's what he thought. So, did, did he just sit down on his hands and enjoy his conviction without any effort? No, he put some effort in it, didn't he? In fact, he got turned down a couple times. I think he went, for sure went to Portugal first. I think possibly, maybe I'm getting history mixed up. I almost thought he had tried some of the Italian states as well. But he didn't even take no as an answer. He went on to the next place and tried to find help to carry out his, to test his conviction, I guess you could say. And uh, he carried, so he put a lot of effort into it. And he got it done, you could say. Now, uh, so when he hit what we think is Cuba, uh, he thought he was in India, which is a rather large mistake. <laughs> At the same time, he still was trying to live out his conviction, right? And he was successful to the extent that he didn't fall off the edge anywhere. Uh, so, you know, the conviction in and of itself, depends a little debatable how you want to clarify this, but in and of itself, the conviction did nothing, right? He actually had to put effort into his conviction to make it of any benefit. So I want you to think about that briefly, and I know, like I said, I'm pulling a lot of stuff together. So let's just, I'm not a great artist, we'll just make a square here, or not even a square rectangle, and that got loopy on me too, so that's good. We'll just let it, uh, let's call this God's Word. Um, maybe I'll let this, take this off for in God's word, in things telling us how to live today. Now, this may not have been specifically in the last couple messages, um, but it's there. By the way, I was going to tell you that this is where a week of meetings is easier than preaching every four weeks at home because I, people remember one thing from one night to the other. So if you don't remember, I'm okay. I'm just not going to feel bad. But in God's word, the things telling us how to live today, we have two categories. Can anybody tell me what those categories are of things that tell us how to live today? I definitely gave you the one. I'll give you the first one. I'm going to call this one God's revealed will. So in thinking of God's revealed will, I'm thinking of things that are clearly told us in Scripture, this is what God expects. Can somebody tell me what the other category would be now? Principle. Principle, thank you. So we have principles. Can you give me an illustration of God's revealed will? Something that's clear. Anybody that knows how to read and has a passage of scripture can go see that God doesn't want me to do this. Thank you. Uh, and the other one that come to my mind was thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? That's revealed will. It doesn't matter whether you live in India, China, Kenya, United States. You're not supposed to kill. Uh, doesn't matter where what time you've lived whether you were at the time that the law was given actually even before that for that matter but when the law was given with moses or whether you lived in the time of christ whether you lived 
500 years ago, whether you're alive today, thou shalt have no other gods before me is exactly that. Don't do it. Now, how would you how would we define a principle? Can anybody tell me? Okay, so it's a truth. We're told to do something. It's either an example or a teaching, but we're not told exactly how to do it, right? Thou shalt not kill doesn't mean that I can use a machete to kill somebody. Well, in some things, we have to carry that out. So if you're told not to kill somebody, not to have any other gods, that's fairly basic. You just don't do any of it in any shape or form. But now if you're told to do something specific, sometimes you have to have some way of doing it. For example, the one I mentioned a couple weeks ago was the uh, principle of separation or the unequal yoke, right? If I remember correctly, I told you that I really don't think God was worried that any of us would go pull off somebody off the street and put a yoke on their head and on our head and walk around, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's not worried about us being yoked to a piece of wood with an unbeliever. Yet he does say clearly, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So what does he mean? He's giving us the principle of separation, right? Of not tying myself in close partnership in with somebody that does not share my values, my goals, and my heart for God's work. So what's, what's necessary in uh, thou shalt not kill? If I apply that, how do, what do I do? Obedience. So it's uh, the application of obedience, and I can't write this off. But we have obedience, application of obedience. That's simply, if God tells you clearly not to kill, not to worship other gods, beginning and end, done. Obey, do it. just don't do it. Now, if we get into principles, the unequal yoke, like I said, there's absolutely, I don't think, the slightest danger if it's, I mean, you're all in sound mind, right? You're not going to go tie yourself up with somebody on a piece of wood and I have to come tell you that the Bible tells you not to do this. You're just not going to do that. So how do we practice that? It's also the application of obedience, isn't it? Just don't do it. It doesn't matter whether in the unequal yoke, it doesn't matter whether we're talking marriage, talking business. I... This maybe takes much, but I would even suggest that a close friend that you go to for counsel to some extent, right? It's not saying that we're not friends with other people. Harder, perhaps. The, do you live in a modest house? Do you drive a modest truck? Anyways, I keep going. Let's not just classify modesty as dress thing. Away from what we do? I would say absolutely. Let's say modesty in, in a house. Is it okay if somebody in... Kenya builds their house a bit different from what you would hear. It can still have a modest, serviceable house, right? Or we can bring it to dress. Is it okay if somebody in an Arab or um, India wears a bit different style cut than what we would hear? I'd say absolutely, right? They can still honor the principle. So then you, become, you have an application of practice so we have an application of obedience, and we also have an application of practice. If you really appreciate truth in your life, you will apply it. 
Now, as we branch this out, I want to ask you a question. And the reason I wrote all this up is where on this chart does conviction come in? Where should your convictions on, on which of these things should you have convictions? On God's word, on the revealed will, on the principles, on the application, be it application of obedience or application of practice. Where, where, where does convictions, where should your convictions be? Okay. Y'all agree with that? Okay. Thank you. I'm going to say yes and no. Sorry. Uh, so we absolutely should have convictions on God's word, right? What he says he means and in the revealed will. Absolutely. If God says don't kill, don't kill. If he says don't worship other gods, don't worship other gods. If he tells you not to be unequally yoked, well, don't. If he tells you to be humble, to be modest, what other, other things, absolutely have a conviction on that. Now. What I see a lot of Mennonites doing that bothers me is a lot of them will say they have convictions on especially the combination of application of practice. I mean, well, what happens when you do that? You immediately boxed yourself in. Because that saying, when you have a conviction, I personally feel, and I didn't get this said last time, that a conviction is something I should be willing to lay my life down. So I can have, and I hope I do, have a very strong preference for many of the things we do, right? Our practice. A very strong preference, but I'm not going to equate it with a conviction because guess what? I would actually rather see Christians in India or Bangladesh doing things somewhat differently in application of practice than just like me. So that means I don't necessarily have a conviction on the practice, just I have a conviction that it be practiced. Can you follow me there? And I think sometimes we box ourselves in pretty quick there and don't do that if you can avoid it. Build your conviction on God's word. Have a conviction to live out his revealed will. Have a conviction to live out the principles. Have a conviction to have applications of obedience and even have a conviction to have an application of practice, but don't necessarily have your conviction on the application of practice that you practice because otherwise you're saying that wisdom sort of dies with me. And I do it perfect, and Joe doesn't. I don't know about you. Let's not stop there. Now, I'd like to get a bit beyond this thing of just convictions. And I was challenged, and I sort of did that in the last message without being clear. Some of the things I was spelling out or giving as questions for you to consider were very much application of practice. And what I was promoting is that we have... A conviction that we respect God, that we respect the worship service, that we respect each other, that we respect church guidelines. What I wasn't really trying to say, and I, again, is that I, I would be very careful to say I have app, that I have a conviction for application of practice. And I think I said enough. If you have more questions, come talk to me because I don't want to be confusing. But let's now take this to the next step. Can anybody tell me what Proverbs 4 verse 26 says? Don't look at it, just quote it if you know it. Okay, well, I have a bit of chance. This has been my theme verse for the last 12 years of teaching Bible schools almost. So, ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Think about the path you're on so that the path you're walking will lead to the desired end. 
Now why is that? Why do I have to ponder? Ponder has the thought of not just, oh yeah. It's of actually sitting down, thinking hard. Why? I think the answer is in Proverbs 5, verse 21, the next chapter. It says, For all the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Guess what? Before you ever started thinking, God was thinking about you. And before you ever thought about thinking what you're thinking about, God had thought about how you would respond to that thought. God is looking at what you think, at why you do what you do. Okay, Hebrews 12. Some of you are looking a little sleepy. Let's all stand and read Hebrews 12. I've got various verses here. To save time, I'm not going to read them all. Most of what I skip would just be Old Testament examples of what he's saying, so I think you should know those already. So Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with such great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's go down to verse 12 through 15. So we're in Hebrews 12, verse 12 through 15. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you thereby many be defiled going on to verse 22 through 25 hebrews 12 22 but ye are coming to mount zion unto the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to god the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? Verse da uh, Down to verse 28. Verse 28 and 29 there yet. Wherefore we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby may we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. You can be seated. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so you be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Okay, do you all remember the message where I asked what makes you tick? So what makes you tick? Now, we had a story at the house and I asked the girls who it was. I remember them reading it, but I couldn't remember who the little boy was and they weren't able to tell me either. But he would take out his dad's watch and take it completely apart and then try to reassemble it. And, uh, 
Yeah, he wanted to know what makes a watch tick. I think in that case it was a spring. And I've fooled enough with a spring-loaded alarm clock to know that when you take a spring-loaded uh, clock apart, it's, uh, anyway, you can end up with pieces all over, can't you? Uh, spring-loaded. So what makes you tick? Uh, I'm sort of, don't worry, I'm not going to come disassemble you to see what makes you tick. But I'd like for you to ask yourself that, what makes you tick? Um, you know, if I could, I should do it to myself rather than you, but if I could go to my garage and get all my wrenches out and take me apart to see what makes me run, um, that's sort of what this journey into the heart's about. What would be the energy within me? What's the inspiration by which I live? What makes me move? What makes me think? What makes me do things? So how did I break this down for you some weeks ago? I'm running out of space here, but I think I called them core motivators. Can anybody... Uh, anybody tell me uh, what the first one was? What's, what makes you tick? Okay, survival. We just all sort of want to stay alive, don't we? If we're healthy anyway. It's a very basic, elementary, human or physical thing. Just want to stay alive. Uh, nothing wrong with it, like I said, as long as we don't become... Uh, let it control us. What was the second... Uh, core motivator. Fear. I'm sorry? Fear. Fear? Okay. Uh, I had it broke down as selfishness with fear being a subcategory, so thank you. And I, if you don't remember, you can go look at your notes if you took any. If you're not, I guess you can ask me for mine. Um, so selfishness, I'm not going to write this all up, but I had three categories on it, which was self, about me, about what I want, about my pleasure. Pride, a search for relevance among those that matter to me, a desire to be esteemed and recognized. And then fear, trepidation of rejection or less than acceptance. And to me, those all sort of roll in together into selfishness because the outcome in the way I relate to others is selfish, okay? Uh, without going further. Then what was the third one? Thank you. Love course thinking of God's love agape love love for others even when they're not so pretty love of the spirit and spiritual a focus on others caring concern about others and I broke that down into some tests of love motivation does anybody remember what those three tests were good thankfulness humility and joy and again, like I told you back then, you can break this down a lot of ways, but I just wanted to quickly remind you before I move on. So as you think of what makes you tick, why are you doing what you're doing? Remember those. Another question I asked some time ago is, does love for someone change how you live? Does love for someone change how you live your life? Yes, of course. You cannot appreciate love. You cannot be grateful for love. You cannot return love without being changed. It's that simple. And so many Christians today are failing to understand this basic truth of love. That when I love God, it changes me. So now to add a question that I don't think I asked in this shape before at least. What is sin? With these thoughts in mind, what is sin? I sort of told you in the one, but I didn't actually ask the question that way. Can anybody, anybody want to tell me? So sin is loving myself more than I love God, really, isn't it? Doesn't it almost come down to that thing of having no other God before me? 
Because if when I sin, basically it's an effort to make what Joe holds important of more priority than what God holds important. And in that way, I become my own God, if you will. So what is righteousness? Would righteousness be the exact reverse, where I hold important what God holds important? In fact, if I remember right, I was going to touch this a bit later, but I'll just bring it up now. If I read my Bible correctly, and nobody's questioned me when I said this earlier, so I'll say it again, is that we're actually judged, as I understand John, we're judged, yes, our actions are kept, but what really determines where we spend eternity is either our acceptance or rejection of God's love. Our acceptance or rejection of God's love. So sin really is a rejection of God's love. May I suggest to you that I feel that, at least culturally for some of us that have grown up in, in churches like this, we have a fair amount of confusion on what constitutes sin and wherein is righteousness. We tend to have this list of things to do and not do. If you ask what sin, probably our first impulse generally is almost to make a list of don't kill, don't worship other things, you know, don't commit adultery, we go on down the list. Yes, those things are sin. And yet, can I dare I say that they're sin because of what they reveal about me and my view of God as much as anything? Because God has put them off limits. Yes, sin does have many actions. And yet, my friends, this morning, it is those root that those actions spring from that's the real problem. You can spend your whole life telling somebody not to do this, not to do that, not to do the other thing. And guess what? Unless they have a heart of love, unless they have a heart of seeking after God, you're just wasting your time. Makes me think so much of growing up in Paraguay. We had these weeds. And I was never quite sure. We were not rich at all in Paraguay there. And so I don't know if Dad just didn't have enough money. I, I don't know if that was quite the case. He's a little bit of an anti-chemical person as well. And uh, I think maybe the other problem was he just had boys that needed work. But uh, he would send us out to the pasture to, to uh, chop these weeds out. Uh, the ones, they couldn't come up with a name for the one that I was wanting. Uh, they, my older brothers felt like the two worst ones were what we called matacampo. And the other one was uh, capipororo. Now, if you want to say a funny name, that's, I think it was Guarani, uh, English, uh, Indian language. But Matacampo uh, was uh, similar to, uh, uh, they call it a burnweed, I think, here in the U.S. Sort of similar, but it was on steroids. Uh, I mean, it got way bigger and way tall, uh, I guess maybe because it could grow year-round. And if you just let that stuff grow, it would almost become a miniature tree, and it would send roots out, and it became a real mess. Well, guess what? When you send a small boy out, you know, it's a lot easier just to chop the top of that plant off and let the roots there, isn't it? But you know what happens to Matacampo when you chop the plant off? It's a little bit the same thing that happens when I th most thistles in my yard today, they pop up somewhere else, right? If you're really gonna get rid of them, you gotta dig that root out almost. Capipororo was maybe a similar to uh, Johnson grass. That's another similar one. I mean, you can, you can whack it off, you can even pull some of it out, but you let one little piece there in a while, it's back again. And you know, friends, that's exactly how it is when we try to serve God based on just not doing some things. 
So many times, I think in our Christian lives, we attempt to knock off the surface weed of sin. Yet we leave that root embedded in our lives and then we're shocked when it sprouts again. There's nothing shocking about that. As long as you've got that root in your life, friends, it is going to sprout again. You, you got bitterness in your heart. You don't get rid of it. It's going to come up again. You got pride in your heart that you're really not willing to give up. It's going to come out again. We could keep going. It's the same for all sin. You know, this misguided attempt of chopping off the top to make it look good leads to a lot of frustration, despair, and I'm going to say it's even led many to give up living the Christian life because finally, if year after year you're just simply whacking the top of your weeds off and they keep popping up, it gets pretty tiresome. It does. It seems we almost have a human compulsion of some sort to try to get down when we're told to do something or told to aim at something. We want to make this list, or at least I do, of do's and don'ts. And yet, friends, when we do that, we're playing games with something that's serious. We're failing to devote serious thought to consequences and results. I'd like to suggest to you that in general, we do not so much lack understanding and knowledge as we lack a willingness to wholly be and do for God. And I know that sounds maybe harsh. I don't mean it that way, but if you're struggling, stop and think. Is it really that you don't know? Is it really that you're not smart enough to consider the subject? Or is it that you would like to have an excuse to keep doing what you're doing? I didn't know if I should do this as Harry Argo wasn't here that long ago. And I don't know that I'm even going to ask. I don't want anybody to feel guilty. But just answer to yourself. How many of you have changed your media use since Harry was here? Just answer that. Like I said, you don't have to raise your hand. But did you? Good. Is it a lifetime change? Can I ask you this in six months? Can I ask you this in a year? Can I ask you in ten years? I'm going to be talking about myself. I will also share some observations. But I'm going to be serious with you. I think the number one problem in our churches is we have an inspiration window that lasts about six weeks max. And then we're back to where we were before. Will it last? Are we just playing a game to help ourselves feel better in the moment? May I suggest to you, and the reason I guess I wonder that about myself, and maybe some others to be fair, is it's interesting. I have heard warnings on some of these things long before I knew Harry. Was Harry able to give us some insight into how things work? Yes, absolutely. I did, in fact, I asked him, I said, should I give up my business and stuff here and go, go to college and get a degree so people would listen to me better? Because uh, I have warned some people about the same things. I know I have. And it didn't seem to sink in. He told me not to, if you're wondering what he said. But I have wondered. But you know, that's one thing I still struggle intensely with in my own heart is the realization that knowledge and understanding doesn't actually fix me. 
It feels good to add knowledge and understanding, and I feel wiser, and I feel smarter, and I feel, like I said, for a brief window, I will feel more confident that this will make a big change, but guess what? It's not really what changes the person. It's a willingness to do and be for God. I'm going to bring up guidelines just a little bit, probably especially referring to church or home guidelines. You know, I am absolutely not against guidelines. Yet I'm going to tell you that no amount of guidelines can protect and safeguard a heart who's failing to wholly pursue God. Must have been a tough week. Everybody stand up. Let's sing the song, The Wise Man Built His House. Thought it fits in here. Okay, ready? The wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise man built his house upon a rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up, and the house on the sand fell flat. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings will come down. The blessings will come down as your prayers go up. The blessings will come down as your prayers go up. The blessings will come down as your prayers go up. So build your life on the Lord. Hey Amen. You can sit back down. Back to guidelines. What happens when we spell out? And I think we need to so that we can work together on some, to some degree. But what happens? May I share with you a personal observation of what happens? Is very often when we spell out things to either do or not to do, we become immediately as human beings focused on that thing and we neglect to realize that the principle that we were trying to support with what we were doing got neglected in the very process of being fixated on how we did it. And I'll just give you an illustration since at least some of you weren't here and some of us, but you know, what was it, 2009, when the church here, uh, and I'm not here to... Yeah, necessarily make a big thing of how that was all done or anything. But uh, when it was put in our guidelines that we would avoid YouTube and Facebook and such like. You know what's funny is those two have become the fixation. What about such like? 
I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just asking, what about such like? Do we have to sit down every time somebody in San Francisco comes up with a new app and talk about it? And we're going to be bogged down for years if we're going to take that approach because they can make apps way faster than one little church can figure out what it does and what it doesn't do. Another thing that happens is we then sort of, I've seen this mindset and it really bothers me, friends. We sort of end up with the mindset that if the filter allows something or if my accountability partners don't say anything, then it must be okay. Seriously. Seriously. I was talking to an individual that works on filters and he almost had this, I don't know, he thought, I thought he was all panicky and fearful almost that this thing wasn't doing exactly what it was supposed to. And you know, I don't know, maybe I'm kooky, but I told him I'd rather it didn't work too well. Because I said, what I want to promote is the filter between the ears. And when yours works too well, that one between the ears gives out. Just because we haven't blocked Fox News does not make it a wise site for you to visit. I'll tell you myself, I uh, went on a fast on Fox News, and I'm not going to say I'm never ever going to read that site again, but I can't stand it now that I go back. And I wonder how can somebody even watch some of that stuff? Am I suggesting we block it? Not necessarily. But I just don't need to be there. You know, especially when it comes to finances, technology, music, probably going to be the main ones on my mind. We have this, we want to set and forget, makes me think of a plane. Here, uh, August 15th of this year, a plane left Khartoum, Sudan, flying to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And I guess those poor fellows were tired. And in a plane, there's something pretty neat called an autopilot. And so they hit this autopilot, and uh, it seems they went to sleep and woke up 30 miles the other side of where they were supposed to land. What do you say then? Well, of course, you turn around and land the plane, but then you realize you're in an awful lot of trouble, too. That's not a funny thing to do. Yet, as Christians and as churches, friends, I'm very concerned that we somehow think autopilot works better than it does there, and it doesn't. I got to bring something up. Harry said, uh, I don't think he said it here in church. But in his observation of Mennonites, he said they're pretty good at saying you don't have this device or that device, but he said they're terrible at deciding what content is safe to view and what's not. And Harry isn't God. But take it and think about it. Does that sound like a filter between the ears that's working? I challenge you. I am all for having, since I'm on tech, let's finish that. I'm all for having guidelines. I'm all for having a filter, I'm all for having accountability. But if that filter between your ears doesn't work, you had better get rid of it. Because I, no one else, can find one or build one that's going to work. This, this thing of wanting to be on autopilot, of set and forget, is not the way that God has designed and laid out the spiritual life and living for Him. Living right, doing right, are so much more than a list of things I do and don't do. It's so much deeper. It's a love that, if love does not have a life-altering, mind-changing, action-channeling effect on your life, you have a problem. 
God, again, I would like to reiterate, God will judge me based on my acceptance of His love and how that has changed my life and actions. There is such a strong human desire to make things right or wrong so that I can know exactly what I may do and what I may not do. And as I've looked into, journeyed into my own heart, shall I tell you what I've found? I've found that that desire to put everything either on the right or the left actually has come out from Joe's selfish heart and the desire to make sure he doesn't miss anything that might be interesting. Seriously. This very effort of trying to figure out what all would be permissible Thus, I end up showing to myself my own self-focused heart if I'm not too occupied to recognize it. I've got two other words I'd like to throw at you, and then I'll try to... Uh, let's see, I don't have enough room here. Let's say that good is right there. And evil is right here. We'll put us a needle here. And so as I think of uh, where the actions of my life point to, what do we call that between the opposite extremes, if you will? What do we call that? You have it in your fuel tank. Full to empty. You have it in your speedometer from zero to, I don't know, whatever your vehicle can do. What's the range? What's that range called? What's the word for that? Anybody know? Spectrum. Thank you. Spectrum. There's a couple words we got to remember as we live for Christ, and I think spectrum is one of them. Spectrum is a continuous sequence or range, as in from on your fuel gauge, from full to empty. That is the spectrum. And so you have an infinite variety of spectrum almost in there, don't you? Every time a molecule of fuel leaves your tank, it's changed the spectrum ever so slightly. Be it, you probably don't register on your gauge. You know, when considering the, 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 my core motivation, the heart's motivation, my love for God or my love for self, I'm going to suggest to you that very few things dead center. That needle... I would like to think there's some things where Joe's needle in the spectrum of good and evil is dead centered. I can't tell whether it's good or bad. But when I really stop, when I pray, when I fast, when I seek God, guess what? I often find that that needle's tilted one way or the other, more than what I would like to say. The spectrum isn't quite what I think it is. And so when we talk about some things like technology, like finances, like music, that's where the one I was actually supposed to be working on, guess what? There's a lot in that spectrum. For example, let's just go to music. How many would say that the song, got lost in my notes. When I survey the wondrous cross, where will you put that on that spectrum? I'd put it on good, wouldn't you? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. I mean, what can you do better than that? So good, good. Okay, so uh, thankfully I don't know the lyrics of this song any more than what I'm going to share with you. And that's almost, anyways. There's a fellow that's well-known singer today by the name of Kid Rock. And one of the titles of his songs is The Devil Without a Cause. 
I don't know. I don't think I need not to be. May God work in his heart and life, whatever he needs. But I don't think I need to know more about that song to know where it goes on the spectrum, do I? There's plenty enough. I don't have to go study the beat and the whatever to figure out where that goes on the spectrum. I'm afraid that that fellow is here or pretty close. I mean, I'm not sure if he's pegged out or not. I'll let that with somebody else. But you follow what I'm saying? There's no need to be filling my mind with lyrics with junk like that. But in between, when I survey the wondrous cross and a devil without a cause song, there's an infinite variety of songs that some aren't good, some are fairly good, some are not so good. You, and uh, for us to talk about music, if we only talk about the extremes, we forget that most of the battle and music occurs somewhere between this, right? If we simply talk about the good music, well, we could quit right now. Just listen to good music. Be done with it. Don't listen to bad music. Be done with it. It's the spectrum that causes the problem. Because my heart, as long as I'm in this flesh, I, I well, let's face my thing. I know that I should be over on good, but I've got this tendency to well, let that needle creep up and hope it's not getting too far, right? I do. I struggle with it. Don't you? You know, these concepts are so foundational to life and so many of the choices we make. Another word I want to give you, maybe I should uh, write this one down. Uh, like I said, I'm running out of space. Another word I want to give you, I'll just squeeze it in over here, is trajectory. Can somebody tell me what that means? Direction of travel. Exactly. I recently bought a rifle. I need to go sight it in. It has been what they call bore sighted. Not to you ladies, that's probably awfully boring, but it just means that currently the scope and the end of the rifle are lined up with each other. But if I want to shoot any distance, that's not going to work too well. Why not? Because your bullet has a trajectory. When you shoot a bullet out of a gun, uh, we'll make it small. Let's say I'm standing here, and so I fire my gun, that, that bullet actually goes something like this to whatever. And so my line of sight, of course, goes like this. So we call that the trajectory. It's, I can be standing at one place. So I could go stand at the back of the doors there, and with a rifle, I could have a bullet trajectory that goes to the left or that goes to the right. I could shoot up or I could shoot down, right? And in life, we also have a trajectory, whether we like it or not. And that trajectory, maybe you see two people that today, it looks like they pretty much share the same convictions. They pretty much are at the same place. And yet you know them in 10 years. You're like, what in the world happened? Generally, it's because there was a trajectory, right? They might have appeared similar at one time, but that trajectory was different. Another thing on music while I'm on it, just briefly here. I'd like for you to think about this. I'm going to preach probably more on it later. And again, I just told you I, I'm all for guidelines, and I'm also for upholding guidelines, no matter how I personally feel about them. But I still think we need to ask some questions. And what I've seen, I was just asked recently, why do some of you churches just say acapella music? What should I have said? 
Oh, it keeps us safe. I mean, with acapella, we don't have any problem with bad music in our church. Is that been that? Would that have been a good, uh, honest response? Afraid that would have been a fib. Just to put it quickly. And yet, while I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not on a campaign necessarily against that. I do want you to realize that with our set and forget mentality. When you're part of a church that has made that stand, at least some probably parents and leaders, maybe the most guilty, sort of have this cozy feeling that they tried to do something about music and now we can go on to the other things and not worry about it anymore. That's false. Very false. I'm going to talk a little bit about tech media. Left that, uh, like I said, I don't want to overlap with Harry a lot, but I had a couple things I thought I'd like to share after listening to him. Is one website or app good and another evil? Do some land on this spectrum and all others land on this spectrum so that when I open the app store and go looking for an app, it's either... Probably not. There's spectrum in there, isn't there? And the trajectory I'm on will affect how the spectrum affects me. You know, you can go, I was trying to think, I, I don't prefer, actually I would discourage Bible use on a digital device on a regular basis just simply because it's distracting. Huh, talk about that, but it's a different subject. So I wasn't going to use a Bible necessarily, though you can find online Bibles. But how about Voice of the Martyrs? I'd say that's a good website, would you? I don't know if they have an app for that or not. I didn't check. But uh, gives you updates, lets you know who's being persecuted where. Yeah, sure, there's a wide spectrum of what they call Christian, but at the same time, where they're suffering for serving God, I can pray for somebody like that. So let's put out on the good, just... What about... Uh, well, I won't name any. But we know there's X-rated stuff out there, right? Stuff that I don't even momentarily want to glimpse. So where do most of the others land? Somewhere in our spectrum, right? Somewhere in that spectrum. Most of what we deal with probably from day to day lands somewhere in between. So that leaves the question is why do I view what I do? What is my motive? What is it building in my life? What is this distracting me from? And I'll just use one quick illustration of media. Somebody else had brought this up. And somebody in a church very like this church actually was uh, it's a brother I love but he made the statement uh, he brought the, the I don't even know I guess it's I refer to it as Andy Griffith you know what I mean probably it's been fairly well known over the years and so okay I'm gonna be full disclosure I've spent some time in a doctor's office waiting for hours years ago it's been a little bit since we had that privilege but uh, and I think he was on a time or two unless that was Ray Romano I don't I sort of gets mixed up in my brain after a while so I could enjoy seeing it as much as anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel foolish if it sort of was interesting, okay? But I heard the, the brother said that Andy Griffith, he said he feels that that's a fairly harmless, family-oriented thing. I don't think he said educational. I don't know, is Andy Griffith educational? Maybe if you stretch education. Uh, I don't know that I would uh, quite classify him. I think he falls in entertainment, honestly, friends. At least to me, when I watch Andy Griffith, I think it'd be entertainment. That's, let's say it there. You go search your own heart. 
And so perhaps on the surface, I can see why this brother thought it was a good, clean, family-oriented show. But guess what? This brother didn't know it. But I had done some research for some reason actually on this very show. And while they were filming, according to what I read, again, I'm not know all about this, but two of the main actors were actually having an affair, married actors having an affair with each other while they were filming at least part of this show. The others, some of the others on the show would try to smile at each other on camera, but they fought horribly behind the scenes. Do you think they can do something like that and none of that enters into where it has a subtle effect on you? I don't think so. Personally, I don't think it can. Can it remain untainted when the people telling you the story are so heavily tainted? Is that influence totally escapable? Furthermore, forget about all that. Forget about what they were doing off camera. Forget about all that. What happens if I take my family home and I watch Andy Griffith every Saturday night? We get together and we watch Andy Griffith. After a while, he's going to get old, right? We're going to have to go find something else. So what did I just do? I taught my daughters that entertainment is okay as long as it's family-oriented. And I'm probably teaching myself to become callous so that I take the next step into the entertainment for something for what? Because I'm bored. Because I don't have enough to do. Because I don't know how to have a good family time around the kitchen table. A desire for more. At least that's what it does to me. I haven't, like I said, I haven't watched that full show. I've seen enough of videos to know that, yes, if I get started, I want more. I do. Again, I want to reiterate, I am not against working together on some of this stuff, but that's not my goal is to promote more church standards or anything in sharing this morning. My goal is, is what's between your ears working? And is God in control of what's between your ears? Let's consider stewardship briefly yet. Is one investment holy? Oh, I could go build a nice big shop in Strawberry and that's all godly. Uh, somebody else wants to do something that goes evil. Really? That comes down to motives pretty strong, doesn't it? So I invest in a Bible publisher. Now I'm holy. Somebody else invests in an abortion provider. That's evil. Of course it is. What about the spectrum between? What about investing in pharmaceuticals? Where they don't recognize God and they're out to just make man his own God. What about cosmetics? Sort of the same thing. What about benefiting from national defense spending? What about unfairly taking advantage of people? And I'm not talking. Yeah, sure, we can write out a contract, but is the pricing that I charge market value for what I do? Or am I trying to make a killing? Because I had an opportunity. You know, it's interesting. We do a lot of work for this one company. It's a service company. And they, I could walk into their offices and they wouldn't know any of us from Adam, so to speak. And yet... The people sitting in those offices day to day have discovered something they really appreciate. A small company in Arkansas, and I give God the glory for this, but should I tell you why? Is they send me the ability to charge them $600 for every time I go out, and I don't charge the full amount if it's not needed. And most other companies do. 
That's small. Yet it's there. What's most important to me, financial gain or love for my fellow man? A desire to show Christ in action. You know, just recently I've been tempted on this, I'll be honest. It's sort of interesting. I got the letters in this order. I got a letter a uh, week, week and a half ago telling me that one of my clients filed for bankruptcy and that this was a lawyer and that for 20, 30% of what they owed me, they would somehow work this thing to where I would at least get most of it. That's the first letter I got. About a week later, I got, later, I got another letter from the government telling me that this client had actually filed for bankruptcy and that there was nothing to get. So how was the other lawyer going to do that? Well, I happen to know that this client just built himself a great big new house in Jonesboro and there's something to get if, if, if you want to go through the hoops of doing it. But yet, what do I as a Christian do? While there is most definitely holiness and wickedness, Good and evil, light and dark, the battle is often not fought in the extreme territory on, on one side or the other, but in the murky middle ground of endless possibilities and choice. You know, this battle is fought in the motives of my heart and the intents of my mind, in the core of who I am and what I want to be and in what I live for. I'm going to give you a list of things that I think we're tempted to believe that really are not true in their full extent anyway. If some is all right, a lot is okay. Let's go back to just Andy Griffith thing, for example. You know, we put ourselves on an awful slippery slope when we justify some entertainment, but not too much. Guess what? Unless my children have a real conversion experience that changes their view, they're going to take what I did a step further. It's proved over and over. If some is all right, a lot is okay. It's not true, especially when we're dealing with poison. If they can do that or have that, I can do the same or a bit more. And I'm going to break this down, and I, excuse me, I have no targets in mind, but I'm just, I just had some random things that came to my mind, so bear with me a little bit here. I don't know that any of these brothers does. But let's say that a miller or a yoder has a million dollars in their bank account. That doesn't say that it's a good goal for me. Is it? I don't think so. Let's say a Martin can drive an almost new Ford Expedition. So now I need to go out and buy one too. Is that true? No, it's not. God might have a different plan for me. Maybe my pride would be too big. So maybe he spared me that temptation. You know, maybe a king can have two skid loaders or another one a loader tractor. Does that mean that I have to have one? I don't think so. That's not saying it's wrong if that's the door God opens, if that's where he leads me. But if he hasn't, that's fine. You know, if somebody sows this that way or adds this, that means that I can sow my this way or do mine that way. Add the extras I like. Does that make it okay? No, it doesn't. You're just playing games. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. You know, so they have that music. They watch that video. They use this media. So I... Doesn't make a lick of difference what they do. Where's your filter? In their head or yours? A couple thoughts to bring you back. One size does not fit all. 
There's no such thing as an accidental Christian. There is nothing like a casual stroll down the narrow way. Each step, each action, each motive must be honestly considered and held up for scrutiny, whether I like it or not. We cannot afford the luxury of being thoughtless. Stop and consider what is the result? What does it indicate? Let's kneel for